hearts. Come Holy Spirit, and as our psalm said, teach us your ways, for your ways are faithfulness, your ways are evermore. And as we sang, Lord, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amen. So I just want to lay a, a couple of stones for foundation, not assuming that we all know um, everything that um, I get paid to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just, I've said this so many times, what an amazing thing. I get to sit in my office and study the scripture and work on my faith and, and your offerings are taking care of that. It's just beautiful. Thank you. So I don't want to make an assumption. Everybody understands that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If I was an organizer, I would have put John first, and it had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then Acts, because Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. That's how I would have done it. Nobody asked me 2,000 years ago how to do that. Um, but um, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic Gospels. There's a lot of material in those Gospels that are similar. That's where they get that. And, um, and so this story today of Jesus' baptism and, and going into the wilderness is in all three of the synoptic Gospels. So anytime that happens, I think it's important when you're studying the Word to look at the other stories in the other Gospels to kind of get a feel. It's kind of like if you know, after church today, if you talk to me or Gabe or Mike or what went on, you would get some different perspectives, right? So that's kind of how the synoptics are. So that's one of the things I'm going to do this morning is look at Mark. Um, Mark was also the first writer of the gospel, many believes. He was probably the youngest of the writers. There's a text in, um, in one of the gospels about young Mark. Um, he followed Peter, a lot of people believe that the information he got for his gospel, he got from Peter. That's just, this is just kind of information out there. Um, but the main foundation that I want to set, the cornerstone, is the deep, deep love of Jesus, guys. And everything we do, whether we find ourselves in need of repentance or need of encouragement or correction or whatever it is, that cornerstone that we build on is the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, with that said, um, in our gospel this morning, um, and one of the things about Mark is he uses that word immediately a lot. Um, he moves quickly um, through the message and the work of Jesus. He doesn't belabor a lot of dialogue between that. And so um, here we are at the end of our reading today in the 13th chapter, and he's already um, been baptized um, driven into the wilderness, and he's coming out and about to heal. I mean, we're not even out of finish with chapter one. And so thinking about that, a um, couple of the images I had is this. As we begin the season of Lent, we find ourselves in the opening verses of Mark on a threshold. All right, we're at a threshold. Uh, a threshold of a three-year journey uh, with Jesus that were we able to know every step, um, every moment that he was led by the Spirit um, to enter into prayer with his Father, um, to day by day, week after week, receive the encouragement from the Father, the strength to press on towards the purposes and plans for his life. If we were able to do that, we would be hard-pressed to deny how wide and long 
and high and deep is the love of Christ. Amen? Um, not only the love of Christ, but the love of Christ for us. And not only for us, but for this hurting world in which we live. In one way, Jesus' baptism and then his wilderness journey for 40 days is an entrance into a life lived for others. You hear that? Just one way to look at it. Jesus crosses the threshold and he's entering to a life that's lived for you and me and for others, not for himself. So hold that because as I was thinking about that, um, which is so common for me, I just kind of went off and I wondered. And I wondered back about a month or two in his life, maybe a year, um, Jesus' late 20s in his carpentry shop. That's what he was, right? And the reason I wondered that is I didn't just like come out of nowhere, although that happens too. Um, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee. That's what Mark said and others had said he came from Galilee. So that's where he'd been. And he'd been there. And the only thing we know about those 30 years after his birth was some little encounter he had at 12 in Jerusalem. So what was he doing? So I'm wondering, I'm kind of entering into godly play, and I'm wondering as he's in that carpentry shop, and I have a shop, I'm not a, a real proficient carpenter, but I love to piddle. Any of you guys like to piddle? I don't know if that's even a word, but um, I do it. And, um, and I'm down there, and oftentimes when I'm by myself, I'm praying, I'm quiet, I don't cut the radio on, I'm thinking, I'm maybe recalibrating some things I've done that I need to direct. Um, I'm listening. Um, I dream a lot, dream of you and dream of the kingdom of God and things like that. But um, I imagine that he was there in that shop and all of a sudden he was stirred. Spirit stirred him, began to quicken his spirit because he heard that John the Baptist was baptizing in the wilderness. And I'm wondering if it might have looked like this. He lays his tools down. He picks up a bag of few belongings. He grabs a staff that he had made for the journey. And he walks out and he closes the door, never to go back. Does he know that over the next weeks, and I'm just kind of still in this wondering phase, over the next weeks, months, and years, that those who followed him will ask him question after question after question about who he is, um, where are we going, when is this all going to make sense, um, and also his rhythm of Sabbath worship. There's a lot of evidence that he never missed that rhythm that Sabbath worship, and every Sunday, perhaps, or Saturday, actually, he was challenged and challenged by the religious leaders. And many of them might have been the ones that had helped shape him and form him as a child. Um, and then um, a return to his home, finds his family and his neighbors his whole life in disbelief a little bit of resentment about who he is, perhaps. And then the unjust physical abuse by a government that should have protected him. 
Yet the love of Christ is wide and long and deep. And he presses on to make us his own. The world and us, his people. And he takes his hands and he begins to shape a new creation. That's what I wonder when he came up from Galilee to John. And young Mark, the evangelist, and that's my phrase, that's why I told you what I told earlier, does not shy away from the magnitude of Jesus crossing this threshold, of leaving the security of an obscure, safe life in Galilee and plunging into the Jordan River for baptism with all the countryside of Judea and Jerusalem there. This was not some obscure little private public bapt- I mean private baptism. This was public. Crowds were there. Mark says it this way, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to John to be baptized by him in the river Jordan. And in those days Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Crowds there. Public event. This was not some off-beaten private occasion. It was a once-for-all moment that fits into the tapestry of God's purposes and plans for restoring, renewing, reclaiming, and rebuilding, and reshaping for us what was lost and broken in the beginning. Amen? Amen. So it's wintertime. Every year I have a little problem breathing. My mouth is dry. I'm going to slur my words. Give me grace. All right? Um, So here's a little side. 17th century poet John Milton wrote a poem called Paradise Lost. Probably many of you know that. Um, It was a retelling of the story of Adam and Eve um, from Genesis and describes the creation of heaven and earth and Adam and Eve wondering, imagining, if you will, the events that led to them being expelled. How did this happen? You know, in the poem Milton writes. Four years later, Milton writes another poem. Whether it was on his heart when he wrote the first one or not, I haven't done the research on that, but he wrote another one called Paradise Regained. And it's the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And this is his premise. What we lost, Adam and Eve lost in the garden, Jesus began to regain in the wilderness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The language of young Mark the evangelist is more dramatic than either of Matthew of Mark, I mean of Luke. And the heavens were not just opened. If you look at those two other gospels, it says, and I'm kind of exaggerating here, and the heavens were opened and the spirit descended. No. He says, the heavens were torn open, and the Spirit descended upon him. In uh, Isaiah 64, it says, Oh, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Isn't that amazing? I was looking at that this morning. I was just going to quote that first verse, which is 64.1 in Isaiah. Um, But I happened this morning as I was trying to remember what I'd written earlier in the week. Y'all have that problem forgetting what you wrote? 
I had to read it again between 8 and 10. Just to, um, but listen to just the next few verses. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one had heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you, hear this, who acts for those who wait for him. This baptism, this driving into the wilderness is is an act of God. As much as the incarnation, the resurrection, the ascension, this is God acting in our history for us to reclaim what we lost The Spirit, Mark goes on, drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The other gospel said the Spirit led him. Mark, this young guy on fire, knowing the radicalness of following Jesus. He drove Jesus out in the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels ministered to him. You know, this is not some little, you know, Fun little journey with Jesus. Um, I've had one of those when I first came to faith. Um, I just thought it was beautiful. This is going to be great. Everybody's going to love me. No. I had a realization a couple of years later, actually, that this is hard. Um, It's wild out there. I was so struck by the way, the Gospel of Mark so portrayed this moving into the desert. The other Gospels, as I said, just said he was led. Um, and in the reading of the other accounts, one might surmise that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew actually says he didn't eat anything and he was hungry. And then the tempter came to him. Makes sense. Luke doesn't say it that way, but you could kind of feel like it was after the 40 days. Mark doesn't say that. Mark says he drove him into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. I think the whole thing, the whole journey, he was tempted. To me, that's our life, is it not? We are tempted. Temptation's not sin. I'm going to say that just a little bit, but we're tempted every day. Is this not our call uh, to follow Christ even in temptation? So here's this. What was he tempted about? I'm just going to say it this way today. He was tempted to abandon what we now know and Jesus understood was to be selfless, not to protect himself. Um, He was all in about others, about you and me. Whatever the cost, the journey, as we heard in, in, in Genesis, it's covenant love, guys. It's not contractual love. Jesus has covenant love for us. It's It's binding. It's irreversible. He's not turning his back on us, even when we do. It's covenant love. It's all about others. Whatever the cost, no turning back. Um, Covenant love. Is this not our call? To be selfless. All in for you and from others. No turning back. It's not a contract we're making at baptism. So, Um, all three of the Gospels 
make this clear. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is unified Godhead action. This isn't just some whim of the Father or some decision the Son made or some spirit leading Jesus where he didn't want to go. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, This is us being reclaimed by the Godhead. I know that's kind of kind of you know ethereal there, but it's true. So as Father Mark spoke last week, um, we put ourselves in a place away from the noise to hear the voice of God. So Jesus in prayer and quiet solitude, he heard, now is the time. John has come forth. Go to him and begin. The heavens have been torn open. The Spirit descended. The voice spoke and the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness with that word, you're my son, my beloved. Why would the tempter be worried about Jesus? Because of that word, I believe. So here's my takeaway for us. Um, If we're just living a life that doesn't believe that, we kind of believe it. We kind of believe that, you know, I'm loved. I mean, you know, God has to love us. He's God. He doesn't really like me. He's not really pleased with me. I mean, I know my life. If we're kind of living that that lie, Satan is fine with where you are. He's going to leave you alone because that's not the way the Lord wants. But if you believe, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'm beloved. Yes, Lord, I'm precious in your sight. Yes, Lord, you did that for me and for others. Um, That's when the tempter comes. So I just wrote this. Why would he be worried about followers of Jesus who simply give a little hand wave to God? You know, it's kind of like the relationships we have with those people. We drive down the street. You guys wave at people. You don't know who they are. There's no relationship there. Hey, guy, you're driving the truck. Hey, man. No. But if I were to stop, say, hey, what's going on with you? That's when the enemy would come in. If I'm full on, that's when he comes. So when we and I and I pray um, that we give the Holy Spirit during this season of Lent space in our lives to do that deep work of finding our true selves in Christ. And when we do, we'll be tempted. It's going to happen. Jesus was tempted will be tempted. Now hear me. Temptation is not sin. Temptation. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted. Temptation is not. If I'm tempted to go my own way and I don't succumb to it, that's not sin. Sin, and what I learned is that in my catechism as a child, is seeking my own will rather than the will of God thus distorting my relationship with God and other people and all creation. That's what, And you'll know it's sin when you've got a distorted understanding of who you are, that I'm not worthy, I'm not loved, um, you're not worthy, you're not loved, you vote for them, you're not worthy, you're not loved. That's sin. But temptation is something we can overcome because he did it in the wilderness. And I know this is obscure, and Father Mark would love to tell you about 
Jesus going down to those who were, who were in prison. He's got a great understanding of that. I'm clueless about that. Just joking. Um, First Peter, listen to this, guys. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Once. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God, because he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, putting to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Then it goes down and said, baptism um, not now saves us. It's not as a removal of dirt. It's not like we're perfect and clean. But listen, this, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. God, help me. I want to track that way. And that's what's going on there. Um, one other little thing, and um, we actually have like one or two spots left for Alpha. Um, and so I'm just going to not promote an Alpha, but I just think this fits perfectly. Um, there's like 15 talks in Alpha, and there's a retreat. And on the retreat, um, you learn who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, and how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then also you can do the talk on how does God guide us, okay? So that's the retreat weekend. And those of you who have signed up for it, do everything in your ability to come to the retreat. You miss the retreat, you miss the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but guess what? What do you think the next talk is? Anybody want to make a stab at it? Come on, somebody. Based on what I just said, Jesus was baptized. He was driven into the wilderness. And what happened? Tempted by... So what do you think the next talk is? How can I resist evil? Isn't that amazing? And it's all about the devil. And, and yes, the world and the flesh, those things too. But um, So I just want to read one little thing here from this. Temptation comes when we follow Christ passionately. Got a call from someone the other day that, that wanted to share a story. They're sitting in this room right now of them just realizing I'm alive again. And I want to say to that person, temptation's coming. Be ready. But listen to this. The ultimate aim of Satan is to destroy every human being. John 10, 10, we love that. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's the last part of John 10, 10. The first part is what? That he comes, the devil comes to kill, destroy, and deceive. Um, and one of the ways he deceives is by blinding the unbeliever so that they're not... So they can't see the light of Christ. And I would like to add, even hear the light of Christ. Even hear that you're loved. Even hear that we're supposed to love our enemies. And just the list goes on and on and on. Christ has won for us, but we cannot win for ourselves. He has pressed into us his cross. His cross. We in our baptism enter into his baptism. We enter into his resurrection. Paradise has been reclaimed. Amen.